0: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church.
1: It could care less about teaching skill or competency, which is the business of education. It is instead a tool of transformation, social, economic, political change, and liberation. So forget about reading, writing, and arithmetic. This isn't about education, but revolutionary, societal, and cultural change and indoctrination. So is there any good news here? Where's the hope for teachers and students and parents? I can see the promised land Though there's pain
0: within the plan There is victory in
1: the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life
0: If we take our eyes off the Lord, even for just a moment, life can roll in and easily overwhelm us, particularly in these days in which we now live. Well, hello and welcome to today's edition of the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor at Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are delighted that you've chosen to spend time with us today on the broadcast. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can, On today's program, we're continuing with our series in the Pastoral Epistles as Pastor Keith continues to walk us through the book of 2 Timothy. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us today to 2 Timothy 2, verse 8, as we hear a message that Pastor Keith has entitled, The Facts of Life for Christians. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study.
1: Father, we thank you that we can come together as your people, Lord, in this meeting house, as the church, in this building, Lord, for such a time as this. We thank you, Father, that we still, for now, have the freedom to worship and uh, to learn about you so that we can tell others about you and fulfill the calling that you have placed on our lives. I pray that you would grant me clarity of expression today and all the people understanding And that, Lord, that what we do and say here today would be pleasing to you. And we pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, we began a series, if you're joining us for the first time today, on uh, really hanging in in the tough times. It's part of our larger series on the pastoral epistles. And last week, we really completed sort of a a two-step process. It was really a two-part sermon on uh, how to hang in when times are tough through the spiritual self-disciplines we talked about. Everything from remembering all that God has done for you to uh, to just focusing on who He is and, uh, and, and the self-discipline of discipleship where we hand the ball off or pass the baton to other people who will be able to teach others also. And, and even, you know, just... The, the discipline, the self-discipline of suffering, like the soldier who sacrifices so much for their country or the athlete who trains their body and agonizes through the fitness or, or the hard-working farmer who gets dirty and sweaty to feed other people. And then we also talked about the self, the spiritual self-discipline of reflection. Think on these things and the Lord will grant you understanding in everything. Today we take up another uh, flow of thought, and that is the, uh, the how. How do we do this? And so today's message is entitled, uh, The Facts of Life, The Facts of the Christian Life. And here we're going to consider four facts of life so that we can know how, uh, why we do what we do. Which brings us to the times in which we're living. We talked about last week, Pastor James Coates up in uh, Edmonton, Canada. We talked about the new law in Scotland that makes it a hate crime to say the wrong things inside the four walls of your own home. We talked about even here how, you know, this uh, Equality Act that's been passed, that is in danger of being passed in Washington, D.C., will strip us of our religious freedoms. And we, we understand that we're living in tough times. And times are about to get tougher. And we need to be praying for each other. We need to be praying for all kinds of people in all kinds of places, in government, everywhere. We need to pray for our public school teachers and administrators. Particularly those who are Christians. Why is that? Well, because they have a passion to teach and to educate. And those who are Christians have the opportunity and the desire to be salt and light within the educational system, which is becoming an indoctrinational system. And theirs is a difficult, difficult task because they're going to face persecution. In the meantime, they can be salt and light in a very, very dark environment. And then you add to this trial the whole COVID-19 thing. And it's just, it's a difficult calling to be a public educator. It's, It's a difficult but a glorious ministry. But I'm sad to say things are about to get a whole lot tougher for them. And what do I mean by that? Why is that? Because prayer is about to return to the California public school system. What's wrong with that? Well, you know, we talk about prayer in the schools, but do you really want that? And I'll give you an example why. Someone just leaked a draft of a new plan uh, for our new curriculum, the Ethnic Studies Curriculum in California Public Schools. Now, it was passed or approved in 2016, but Governor Newsom vetoed it. And if he vetoed it, you got to wonder, right? And so it came back again. It was kept below the radar. And uh, last week, I believe it passed the state school board 11 to 0. What's the problem there? Well, it's called the Ethnic Studies Model Curriculum. And it will be mandatory in 11,000 schools for some 6 million students. And, and And the goal of it is to reverse what the authors of the curriculum call theocide now you know of homicide where you kill other people theocide is where is where you kill god or a god and so the authors want to reverse theocide of the oppressive white hegemony by reversing the religious persecution by christians of indigenous people by emphasizing indigenous gods to primary and secondary school children the aim is the so-called decolonization of American society, it elevates the Aztec religious system and the Mayan religious systems and their symbolism as a replacement for the dominant Western religion. Now, I wonder what the dominant Western religion is. The central idea, and I'm reading this, these are some, these are some of the quotes, is that students must be educated about their oppression in order to attain, and I quote, critical consciousness and develop the capacity to overthrow their oppressors. This curriculum instructs teachers to help students, and I quote, challenge racist, bigoted, discriminatory, imperialist, colonial beliefs and critique the white supremacy and racism and other forms of power and oppression. This approach, they say, enables teachers to inspire their pupils to participate, and I quote, in social movements that struggle for social justice, And build new possibilities for a post-racist, post-systematic, systemic racism society. So where does the prayer come in? In the exercises that the students will be doing, appealing to Aztec gods, students will first clap and then chant to the god Tezcatlipoca. Asking him, asking him, that's prayer, for the power to be warriors for social justice. Asking a God for anything is an act of prayer. Now about this particular Aztec God, he's traditionally worshiped through cannibalism and human sacrifice. So there's a model. And so students first clap, then they chant, and one of these prayers once these prayers and rituals are completed, next the students chant to another group of Aztec gods, seeking healing epistemologies and revolutionary spirit. Included among this group of gods in particular is the Aztec deity of war, traditionally worshipped with the Aztecs sacrificing hundreds of thousands of people in in villages and tribes outside of their own. Then, uh, finally, the chant comes to a climax with a request, that's a prayer, for liberation, transformation, and decolonization, after which the students shout, Ponche Bay, Ponche Bay, in pursuit of the uh, utter utter critical consciousness. You know, you just can't make this stuff up here, can you? You just can't do it. It's amazing. Now, observers note that the chants have a clear implication, the displacement of the Christian God, which is said to be an extension of white supremacist oppression, and the restoration of, of indigenous gods to their rightful place in the, get this... Social justice cosmology. Now, cosmology refers to a way of looking at the universe. It's a theological concept here. So what they're teaching is religion. And California parents should be concerned. California teachers, too. And this curriculum, the vision statement makes this aim explicit. It could care less about teaching skill or competency, which is the business of education, It is is instead a tool of transformation, social, economic, political change, and liberation. So forget about reading, writing, and arithmetic. This isn't about education, but revolutionary societal and cultural change and indoctrination. So is there any good news here? Where's the hope for teachers and students and parents? Well, as we know, the public schools are... Prohibited from leading state-sanctioned Christian prayers, and therefore they should similarly be prohibited from leading these kind of Aztec prayers. Uh, people always like to talk about the separation of church and state, and so this would seem to be uh, a violation of the Establishment Clause of the Constitution. It's illegal, just like all the strictures that you know Santa Clara County put on us for worship, violating our First Amendment freedoms. In the meantime, what can a person do? Somebody's going to have to challenge this in court. Uh, It's going to be an uphill battle against the California Teachers Association, the State Board of Education, our government. What what can a teacher do? Maybe withhold dues, maybe remove their leaders, I don't know. Organize against this. Parents could withdraw kids, confront administrators. But it seems like a daunting task, doesn't it? Seems like the odds are overwhelming. What hope... What hope do parents have against these huge and powerful organizations? What difference can one person make? What difference can one Christian make in a Christ-hostile society? Well, let me give you a quote from long ago that may give you some hope, and it's by Mary Queen of Scots. She was the Queen of Scotland, and she said this, I fear the prayers of John Knox." more than all the assembled armies of Europe. I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the assembled armies of Europe. Who was John Knox? John Knox was a galley slave. He was a former galley slave. He had been sentenced to death by the authorities for preaching and teaching, being a chaplain. And so what they would do is uh, they would put you in a galley and you would, they'd row you to death, just like the good old days. And for 19 months of abuse and suffering, John Knox served as a galley slave. Finally, he gained his freedom somehow. And he returned to Scotland, his home. He prayed this prayer, Lord, give me Scotland lest I die. And he led the Protestant Reformation in Scotland in 1560. It was Knox's great faith and courage, resiliency, and powerful preaching that led to her comments, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the assembled armies of Europe because she wanted to return Scotland back to papal domination. And so you have hope because you and I, we, serve the same God that John Knox did. And yes, we are living in difficult times, but if we remember why it is we do what we do, if we remember who we serve, if we remember the facts, the facts of the Christian life, we will be able to weather the storm, to keep the faith, to run the race that God has set before us. And so for our text today, we want to look at 2 Timothy 2, 8 through 13. Because here Paul is in Mamertine prison in Rome awaiting execution they're going to behead him because he's a Roman citizen they wouldn't crucify him he knows he's dying he writes to Timothy his son in the faith to encourage him even though Paul has been abandoned by all the people who said they would support him and so he writes to encourage this young man who's probably between the ages of 36 and 40 who's about to kind of go wobbly and facing what he believes are overwhelming odds without his mentor without his spiritual father and Paul tells him why, why he is to endure suffering as a good soldier, why he is to endure as, as an athlete, why he is to endure as a hard-working farmer, as it said in the previous chapter, and previous verses. And so we come to 2 Timothy 2, 8 through 13, and it says this, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, As preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This saying is trustworthy. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will also deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for because He cannot deny Himself. As I said, today's message is entitled, The Facts of Life, The Facts of the Christian Life. It's the fourth sermon of our series, Hanging On When Times Get Tough. And as we face seemingly overwhelming odds in our culture and society... We need to cling to the facts to know why we're facing what we face, why we persevere, why we endure, why we stand out as believers rather than blend in with the culture. And we live our lives through the lens of Scripture. So here are four facts that we have to hold on to, that we have to consider almost self-evident as we seek to live out our faith, confront evil, and stand up for the weak. And I'm just going to run through them quickly, and then we'll come back through them one at a time, and we will get this done in one sermon, don't worry. Fact number one, if we preach or proclaim or live the gospel, we will be persecuted. If you live for Christ, you will be persecuted. You don't have to seek it. You don't have to go out and start trouble. Trouble will find you. Two, we may face restriction or imprisonment, but the gospel will not be imprisoned or restricted. We may face restriction or imprisonment, but the gospel will not be imprisoned, bound, or restricted. Three, we do what we do for the sake of others. We do what we do for the glory of God and the good of others. And four, and through it all, come what may, God is in control, God is sovereign. Remember these facts. Think on these things, and Christ will give you understanding in every trial, hardship, situation, or circumstance. Fact number one, let's talk about this one. If we preach the true gospel, then we will be persecuted. Where is that in the text? It's in verses 8 and 9, 2 Timothy 2, 8 and 9. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. Don't miss what's going on here. If we believe the true gospel, we will suffer hardship. Pastor, preacher, teacher, elder, deacon, deaconess, layperson, young person. It's true of all believers in all ages at some level, but particularly now. It's a fact. Christians will suffer And in this, we will find our hope too. Because if we are going to suffer, let us suffer as Christians for the sake of others, for the sake of the gospel. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. The offspring of David is preached in my gospel for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. What's going on here? Paul is telling Timothy To remember the cause of his hardship, Jesus Christ and his good news. Often you'll see Paul call on Timothy, and by extension us, to remember certain things. We are remembering who we serve and why we suffer. We are to remember Jesus Christ so that we can receive strength through his graces. It keeps our priorities rightly ordered. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. This is last week, right? This is all pointing back to last week, and last week is pointing to this week's message as well. We have to remember why we suffer and what we live for. Earlier, Paul told Timothy not to be ashamed of the gospel or Paul's chains. Notice it says that Paul is bound in chains as a criminal. There are different words here for criminal that could be, have been used in the New Testament. But this one is the same word that is used to describe the people crucified on both sides of Christ. These guys were criminals. They deserved their crucifixion. And the state is treating Paul as if he were a brigand, a revolutionary, a rioter, a common criminal. That, that's what happens to Christians. We saw that with James Coates in Edmonton, Canada. He was just interviewed. Uh, his wife was on, the, on TV. Uh, I think it was on Fox News, Tucker Carlson. And uh, it's interesting because, you know, they held him and they, uh, they haven't released him yet. They're going to release him. They, hold, they held him as a criminal. And while they were holding this man as a criminal, they released a child molester who had been arrested and convicted and imprisoned three times and they released him after his third conviction and arrest from prison because he's less of a threat than James Coates. Now imagine that. Now that's brought heat on them and that might be one of the reasons they're getting ready to let James Coates go. But the fact is the state Sees James Coates as a criminal the way that Rome saw the Apostle Paul and the way that California uh, ethnic studies <laughs> curriculum sees you and is teaching your children that you are criminal in your history, in your thought processes, in the way that you think. And so Paul and Timothy, in their own context, had committed no crimes, but they only preached the gospel. A message of hope. That Christ died and rose from the dead as the anointed one, the heir of the Davidic throne. As the promised Messiah of the scriptures. The promised one promised by a faithful, saving, grace-giving, mercy-giving God. And Paul is in chains as a convict for that. I mean, you look at the use of his word gospel there. It means good news. Paul was preaching a message of hope that Christ died and rose from the dead. Repent and believe the gospel and receive forgiveness. There was no call to sedition or violence, only repentance and faith and contrition. That salvation could be yours if you would turn from your old way to Christ in faith and repentance, putting your trust in him and in no one else. And that is what got Paul imprisoned. And so Paul is telling Timothy, look, I'm in prison, but remember Jesus. And it's for him that I am bound in these chains as a criminal. Remember Jesus, who he is, what he's done, risen from the dead, Remember Jesus, why he came, why you suffer, Timothy. Timothy, this is the cure for what ails you and what frightens you right now. This is Paul's prescription. Remember Jesus.
0: Pastor Keith Crosby as well as the Out of My Mind podcast. The website is also a great place to connect with us here at Hillside. You can find information on our service times, ministry opportunities, and of course you can browse our calendar of upcoming events. Again, all this and much, much more can be found by visiting our website, hillsidechurch.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time on Grace to Live. But until then...